Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. How's it going, Dave? Doing really good, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. So first order of business, uh, sorry about last week. I was not really sure sick qualifies, but I was unpodcastable. I was very, very <laughs> congested. And uh, well, obviously... Well, take long to come up with a title. Yeah. Obviously, I'm already a pretty nasally person, but if I think I sound nasally, it's even worse than usual. So it's basically, uh, I sounded like John Syracuse locked in the trunk of a car. <laughs> so that didn't go well. But uh, I felt fine and I was able to get lots of work done and uh, just been plugging away on various projects and trying to learn stuff along the way. What's going on with you? Uh, I have been underwater with work type stuff. Um, More uh, Go and database stuff? No, I ended up having to pitch Go. Um, really neat language, really neat platform. I like a lot about it. And if I had to just create a quick and dirty web service, that would totally be where I'd go. But for some of the more complex XML parsing stuff that I'm doing, it's not going to cut it. Yeah. So, um, oddly enough, C sharp and .net are probably where it's going to be, which means lots and lots more C sharp code, which will turn me into a all day, every day C sharp programmer, which may or may not be a good thing. So do you think you're going to be eventually replacing your Swift code base with entirely C sharp? Um, that's kind of how it's looking right now. Hmm. Um, I mean, right now, if you want a relatively close to the metal, fast, multi-threaded, concurrent, full desktop class programming language, C sharp with .NET is pretty much it. Fun. Next closest thing I can find at this point is JavaScript. Mm, and that's no not, thanks. yeah, it's not quite the same. Like, I like JavaScript and there's some things I'm going to be doing with JavaScript, but it is not the same kind of thing. So, in the end, what that means is that for work and for pleasure, I'm just going to be writing a lot of C sharp code. Um, Good. So, all the migration Unity's doing towards getting more modern C-sharp and stuff like that, that'll all be good. So when I get stuck, I can just uh, send you a link. And say, hey, can you finish writing this 600 lines of code for me? <laughs> I mean, if you just you do that every half an hour anyway. So. It could be. I, I migrated about uh, 15,000 lines of code last night. Oh. Um, <laughs> it it only that? required a couple of modifications to do, but yeah, it's it's there and it's working and it's functional and it's pretty happy um so yeah if you've got questions about uh language features and like how c sharp works and how you should write a particular chunk of code i'm your guy you're our guy for how the heck do i make this cube move from here to there Mm -hmm. yeah i've in all the time i spend in unity i probably only spend 10 percent of that in 
Visual Studio writing code. Most of it's doing level design stuff or trying different visual effects. And yeah, I haven't even gotten into shaders yet, but that's a couple of items down on my list. <laughs> so I have been working on this project that we talked about a couple of times, just making some pseudo-realistic scenes for VR. And um, I met with the other team that I'm working on this project with and just kind of showed off what I've done so far and got some feedback. It was all like early prototype stuff using Gaia as the main um, kind of development environment. And uh, got enough feedback and pretty much the okay that we're gonna go ahead with the project. So I guess the good news is Joe is actually working on a VR project with somebody else than just Joe. Well, so, awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I don't think it's going to be a huge like financial uh, gain in the long term, but I am, I've got access to a pretty awesome team of like developers and artists and people who just know the game industry a lot more than I do. So we're still in the early days of that. We'll be talking about it more at some point in the future. Um, but for now, I'll keep it nice and ambiguous. Um, but while I was working on that project, I mentioned that I started working with the Vive Input Utility a couple of weeks ago. And it is fast becoming my favorite abstraction layer for VR input and just general simple interaction stuff. It's not perfect. It's far from perfect. And a lot of it just needs to be kind of re-implemented myself but they provide some basic examples of how they do things. And then you can just copy that and modify it as you need. And it's a little bit, it's not a little bit, it's a lot easier to understand than the CMVR stuff. <laughs> the, co the code is much more documented and makes more sense. There was a, so I mentioned how awesome teleporting is. It's both awesome and not awesome. Like visually, it's just not that great. It's just a little, there's not really any effects to it. There's no sounds. It's just a little low poly upside down pyramid that points to where you're gonna go and then you teleport there. But it's very easy to implement and you just add the teleportable component to any mesh that you want to teleport on. And I mentioned how nice that was to be able to add it to a terrain and then I realized I need, I need to modify that a lot if I end up using that because if it's attached to a terrain, guess what? All of the trees are part of the terrain. Now you can just teleport up the side of a tree. <laughs> now, I, I saw this. Um, it, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't rotate you parallel with the ground. Mm -hmm. It just puts you on the tree. So I'm teleporting along, moving around the terrain, checking things out. It looks fantastic. Everything looks wonderful. And then suddenly I'm like face first into a tree. <laughs> yep. From about three inches away. Tree. Yeah. And uh, and you're used to VR and you didn't freak mm -hmm. out. Some some other people have. Like, oh, no, I'm falling. I'm falling. <laughs> so. Now the last major freak out I had was... Uh, running around in the solar system model in the lab mm. and accidentally teleporting too close to the sun. Mm. And basically it was just filling the entire room 
and coming within about two inches of my face on the side. And that was, that was kind of freaky, but particularly with solar prominences exploding in front of my face. Nice. Proceed. You were, you were saying. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much it. The, you know, the vibe input utility has some, it's got a couple of scenes. It's got like, I think eight scenes of examples, but one of them in particular has um, some examples of grabbable components where you can just, they have a basic grabbable and a snap grabbable, um, the basic one. You just overlap the controller with the object and push a button to grab it. And they've got like a, a blockable versus an unblockable. So should this object in, like uh, intersect with other things or should it push them out of the way with a rigid body? And they've got the you know options for turning gravity on and off, things like that. The snap one um, snaps it to the controller based on, I think, just a like a transform point that you feed onto the controller. So like say, snap it here. Um, and you would do, use that to maybe replace the controller or have it overlap the controller in a certain way. So it was all pretty cool stuff. Um, so not a lot else has happened on that project. I had the meeting with them and we're just kind of working on scoping out the rest of the project from there. I've also spent a little bit of time working on my game that I haven't really touched much in the last couple of weeks. I had some time last week to spend about an afternoon on it. And I have been trying for, I don't know, eight, nine months to figure out what a particular visual effect is called. And <laughs> just one of those things I haven't been able to Google, Google successfully. And finally, I was at the co-working space there was an artist in the office and on Twitter, I saw somebody posting a screenshot that was close to what I wanted. And I went and got her and said, I want you, I want to point out something and have you tell me what it is. And uh, she came out and kind of told me, oh, you know, it's edge detection thing, but I can't quite remember the word. And then another guy walked by and she asked him, he's like, oh yeah, that's the Sobel effect, S-O-B-E-L. And uh, it's a way of doing edge detection on... 3D objects and highlighting the edges. And it is some pretty cool stuff. Um, just having a word to Google I, in the next hour, I made like months worth of progress, I felt like. And uh, I spent some time with Unity's legacy image effects. And uh, so they've got a Sobel shader built in there that you can use and you can make some pretty cool stuff with it but it, it's a camera effect. So it applies to everything in the scene. Um, I looked around for a couple of other options and didn't really find anything that wasn't a camera effect. And then I eventually ended up in the asset store and found something called the Per Object Effects Pro asset. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It is a per object <laughs> image effects. So the same kinds of things you can do with image effects on the camera, you can do on an instance by instance basis on a mesh. And let me see if I can send you a link over the Skype thing so you can see what I'm talking about. I'm looking at the Google image search results for the Sobel effect. And it's reminding me a little bit of, uh, there was a group that was doing work on 
basically they had a camera that took four photographs of something, but each time it took a photograph, it used a different flash. So rectangular camera, a flash in each corner of the camera. And so each one of those generated a different set of shadows, and then they could compare those four images and use it for really detailed, depth-layered edge detection. Hmm. And actually do, like, engineering diagrams of complex machinery just from standing the thing up, snap four photos, dump it in the computer, done. Nice. Um, This is reminding me a lot of that. Yeah. So I just sent you a link to some screenshots that I took earlier. I was just playing with some low-poly props and applying this effect. And the screenshots don't quite do them justice. And there's no anti-aliasing on on this camera, so they look a little jagged. Um, but you get the general idea. So this is the the type of effect I want to get in the game. I'm not sure if I'll do the entire level with this effect. Um, because I'm doing it on an object basis, it may be kind of heavy. So I'll probably, or I may just end up using it on props and enemies and things like that and leave the actual geometry more of a, a grid pattern. But uh, what this uh, script or whatever component is, what it actually does, it, it creates a duplicate of the mesh and applies this visual effect to it. And I found that out the hard way because I had in my sandbox, I had I applied this to one of the uh, interactable cubes that I had. And then I went to pick it up and I just picked up the image effect and left the cube on the floor. <laughs> and uh, that's because my cube was still marked as static. So I just like picked up the, I like, well, this is kind of cool. And then it's, it's almost like a volume of image effects. So I could hold it up to other things and see the effect through it, apply to other things in the scene. So like now I need to like, I've got all kinds of ideas of what I can do with this. <laughs> It is kind of the uh, the best progress comes from failed experiments. Yeah, like it can be like a cyberpunk magnifying glass. Like I don't know, you can do some pretty cool stuff. So yeah, it's so just a, what can you tell me more about what it is that you want to do with this, or is this just purely a visual effect, or are you using this to like? set things off in the scene or draw attention to them or, uh, or do you not want to say yet? It's definitely just a visual effect, um, a stylistic thing. So I want to make a very dark environment um, with some basic grids, all the level geometry I'm planning on doing with ProBuilder and just applying some grids to that stuff. And then I can make those emissive so I can really reduce the lighting. There's going to be lighting in the scene. It's not going to all come from the emissive geometry. But um, these effects light themselves up. So I was I was planning on attaching the this effect to like the enemy laser turrets and interactable objects and just other MacGuffins throughout the game. Um, as well as maybe some of the geometry of like this wall is movable and here's like a visual cue to indicate that it's movable versus the other effect. Cool. Yeah, one of those screenshots I actually applied this effect to the floor and you can see it actually changes the shadows of the objects into... It kind of inverts the shadows, so you have a little blue 
uh, background of the shadows. I'm yeah, sure so the shadows themselves kind of have an edge detection on them. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if I like that or not. I have to play around with that more. But yeah, so, it's just it's so just when, great to like knowing a word, and making <laughs> progress. The uh, uh, looking at the two screenshots, the natural looking shadows. So just uh, object projecting onto the gray floor. Mm-hmm. Um, makes the objects look a little bit more natural, which could be good or bad. Yeah, I think I like that one better. I think the that that's just a plane with a gray material attached yeah. to it. And I think I like that better, which is having... I did turn the lighting to white entirely, but I changed the skybox in the scene and reduced the atmosphere so low that the light really doesn't move around that much um so yeah and this was just a demo scene this isn't actually in that project this is just a, a uh, props sure. project that i made but just looking at the shadow effect and then the the shadows with the blue outlines make them look more fake which mm-hmm. is which could be an advantage or a disadvantage but in general i i agree with you i like the the gray shadows mm, yeah so let's see. So I I also started playing around with uh, movement. And I, I'm still on the fence with this. I mean, I may end up making a game that doesn't have a very big audience because I may make it locomotion-based. And I'm still not sure what the breakdown is in the VR community of people who only want teleporting and don't want any kind of movement. Um, can you refresh my memory? Is Fallout only motion-based, or is there a teleportation option in there or some other locomotion? It defaults to teleportation uh, and has movement as an option. Okay. I switched to movement, but so far everybody else that I put in the game gets ill from it. Hmm, okay. So I'm trying to think of my game in terms of a puzzle game it really makes sense as a movement game because you're avoiding these turrets using a teleporter i mean i guess i could try to make puzzles that work with the teleporting and i could build in like a time delay things like that but i'm just not sure that's the direction i want to go so i i may just make this entirely a motion-based game where you're actually moving through and i'll probably keep it fairly simple um maybe i think what i like the best is moving in the direction in the forward vector of the controller that you're using to move i've tried other ways where you're you're always moving in the forward vector of the camera but that's just unnatural mm-hmm. um pointing your hand to the left and saying move left feels right mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> correct feels correct um so i started playing around with this and uh just don't really know what i'm doing i don't have the code in front of me but i tried five or six different things the first thing i did i wrote a little bit of code to just move the vr origin objects when i 
push the trackpad and I was standing inside my sandbox scene which is you know about the size of a gymnasium it's not huge but it's not too small and I pushed the uh pushed the trackpad and launched myself out several kilometers away from it like <laughs> ridiculous speed so that was too fast and then uh you know I finally got the speed down and spent a little bit of time trying to figure out how to move on a single axis without moving on the other two or without like moving on the y axis but still being able to move on the x and z and I haven't quite figured that out yet I kept uh I don't know I kept there's no like the way I would do this in a 3D scene would be to use a collider around the game player and have that collider sit on the ground and kind of use that to judge the height of the object. And you can't really do that in VR because everybody's a different height. And you bend over, like what happens to that capsule collider if you bend over to scratch your shin or something? It doesn't really make sense. So I need to find out how to do this. It's been done hundreds of times. I just haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, so the the two big things that I've seen done... First, I don't know if Google came up with this, but the first place I ever saw it was in Google Earth, which was the tunnel vision effect on motion, Mm -hmm. which I personally find obnoxious, but I do know a lot of people who find movement in VR less problematic when the, the field of view reduces... Uh, when they're moving yeah um, in in daydream by default they encourage you to use that effect in addition with a grid so it looks like it almost looks like the inside of the hollow deck from star trek where you're, while you're moving around you you see the grid that you're moving inside of and you just see the tunnel of the scene it's kind of a neat visual effect huh. so i may do something like that interesting or at least then- enable that as an option and then the second trick was never ever applying acceleration. Mm-hmm. That it's velocity. So you instantaneously go from zero velocity to four miles an hour. And when you stop moving in that direction, you instantaneously go from four miles an hour to exactly zero. Mm-hmm. Um, because apparently it's the acceleration that your body notices, not the velocity itself. So, yeah, which I just need to, I just need to, I just need to make sure I can still nudge my way around a corner and things like that. I just tap on the trackpad to move a little bit. So I yeah. need to, I need to figure out how to do this with also like going up vertical slopes and stairs and things like that. Like Trickster has all this figured out. I just don't know how they did it. Yeah, I don't know how Trickster did it because... Oh, I'm sorry, not Trickster. I was thinking, um, ever since you started talking about a movement game, I've, in my head, been thinking about throttle power, which mm. totally has acceleration and velocity yes. changes. Yes, and it's um, a ton of fun. Yeah, maybe I maybe I use some kind of prop. Like, um, with that game, you only move when your wheels are touching the ground, and it makes really... It makes sense to just lift them off the ground if you want to fall to the ground. Hmm. 
I'll check with some of my friends who are more motion sensitive. At some point, you may want to put together a small test bed because neither of us are good candidates for telling whether something makes us sick. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think, a, just a teeny bit more motion sensitive than you are. You don't seem to be motion sensitive at all. No, motion sensitive, not at all. I, the only time I got any kind of simulator sickness from VR was when I tried that uh, no lighting <laughs> material thing. <laughs> that was just me goofing off and creating a very bad idea. Yeah, I don't particularly get sick, but I can get a little wobbly. Oh, I can get wobbly all the time, especially if a game moves me to, like, if I'm, if, if it's moving me to the side and I'm looking the other direction or I'm turning the other direction and I move to the side. I, I don't see it too much in games, but I've seen it in a couple of videos, um, like watching a 360 video or going through an experience where you're just kind of on rails where the camera turns in the direction that I'm not expecting. But I don't, I don't get sick from it. I just get like, whoops, and just like kind of lose my balance for a second. <laughs> So yeah, that's kind of my update on the two projects and uh, just trying to, I don't know, I guess the other thing about the game project that I'm trying to figure out is I'm a little bit stuck on how to get started with making the puzzles. So I've got some turrets and I've got some objects. So I've got some pieces that I can use to build puzzles, but I've been stuck on building geometry for it. And I've got Pro Builder in the scene or in the project all ready to go and I start to make stuff I'm like well that doesn't look right and I'm just kind of stuck so I thought of um, you know what can I do to kind of jump ahead and just have something in the scene and then modify it so I started looking into maze generation and it is a very rich world for <laughs> community and there's, there's a hole with no bottom <laughs> Yeah. So there's some really cool stuff all over the internet about generating mazes. And uh, I think what I'm going to do is use some of those generated mazes as a blueprint for parts of a scene. Or actually, I said that wrong. I may get a very big maze as a blueprint for the entire game and break that maze up into scenes. And in, inside each one of those scenes, build out the puzzles in that area. So I want to have kind of a coherent sense of place as you move through the game. That's one thing I didn't really... It's one of my only criticisms about Portal is it doesn't really make sense how you're moving in the structure. You're, never, you're just going down floor to floor, but the elevators are always in a different place. Like You're never really going back to the same place <laughs> to get on the elevator. I spend enough time being lost in Portal that I don't know that I had ever noticed that the elevators aren't all together. Mm -hmm. That's one of the first things I noticed. So, I mean, I really like games where I can kind of develop an, an internal map of where I am and where I've been and be able to retrace my steps. And so I want to kind of produce that as well. Even if you're not going back to a previous level, you still kind of know that the world that you're in makes sense. You're not just going from one scene and then destroying it and going to another scene that aren't really related. But I think it, the individual levels, I don't think, will actually be 
a maze to get through, they'll just kind of use those walls from a small section of the maze as the building blocks in which I build the rest of the scene in. Mm-hmm. Kind of 50,000 foot terrain sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to have some kind of constraints to start to work in. So that's that's the plan anyway. I have no idea if that'll work. I'm going to try to spend some more time on it this week. Um, as a as an idea, uh, another way I was thinking of it would be to drop down to a dramatically lower level of resolution. And so, for example, use something like... I mean, I would use Omni Graffle, but... Um, some sort of kind of layout tool that allows you to define boxes and move them around. Mm-hmm. Maybe almost more like a 2D level designer. Yeah. And just go, you know, turret, turret, wall, thing. That looks kind of interesting. Now I step into VR and it always looks more interesting than what I was working with rather than less interesting starting from the VR if that makes sense. Yeah, and that, that's how I came across the maze idea, which is like, I need okay. some, I need something to look at. And so I just found some images and threw those on the iPad and sort of tracing on them and uh, just drawing in. Oh, I could put a turret here and then it could have this field of view and things like that. I may end up making, <laughs> depending on how much time I want to spend on this, I may end up making an entire 2D level builder in unity that i can just run on my ipad and use it to you know drag in a turret and attach a field of view to it or adjust the field of view parameter and uh just kind of like design the entire thing from a top view so there's two cool things about that one of them is when you are building your own tools they don't ever have to get release ready Mm-hmm. Like there can be elements of that that can just be the jankiest, nastiest stuff you've ever produced. And that's okay as long as the output from the tool is good. Um, it's actually really freeing. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you don't you don't have to be able to figure out how to make something so good that you could release it. You can just be quick and dirty, which is a lot of fun. Um I had a second thought on that topic and I can't remember what it was. But it was awesome. Nice. Oh, yeah. And the other thing is that initially the time investment will seem huge. Because it's a lot of work to make a level designer. But if you're making a game that is based off of multiple puzzle levels, it'll be worth it in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not even sure if it needs to be that sophisticated. I think it, it could basically be, you know, the iPad equivalent of a piece of graph paper where I can select the cube shape and draw a line of cubes and select the turret and place a couple of those and basically just be spawning things in and then just saving it out to an image that I can take notes on. I'm just kind of like making, maybe put a an image of a maze below it so I can kind of trace the cubes onto that, things like that. Okay. So you wanted an image that you could then put notes on that you would then later manually turn into a level? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. I was thinking about something that would at least output basic geometry. Like, here is a chunk of JSON or XML. Nah, not going to go that crazy. <laughs> I really am a tools guy. Okay. So speaking of tools, um, I've been talking about ProBuilder for a couple of months, something I started using last winter, I think. And uh, it's a really sweet way of making 3D models, particularly, you know, prototyping out a level um, or just doing all of your actual level design with it. You're never really going to do very sophisticated things with it, like making, you know, rigged characters and things like that. But it's definitely good for the type of low poly stuff that I'm doing and for this, you know, kind of grid aesthetic that I'm going for. And the good news is that ProBuilder is now part of Unity. So they, oh, you're kidding. Yeah, they got acquired <laughs> last week, and uh, Unity put a blog post out about it. So it's now free for everybody. I think the one on the asset store has been marked as deprecated, so I don't think you can get it there. Um, so I think during this weird in-between phase, it's only available in the new package, man- package manager for... 2018.1 so if you don't have it if you haven't already bought the legacy version i don't think you can get it in the store anymore but uh if you want to download it and start playing with it uh just try the beta for 2018.1 and they've got some new package manager built into there and you can get pro builder and one or two of their other tools i don't think that they bought all of the pro core stuff so they have like six tools but i think only two of them or three of them made the cut but ProBuilder is, frankly, the one that really matters. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's... I I was pretty happy about it. And I think, fingers crossed, um, Unity's got their uh, editor VR that they've been playing with for about a year as an open source project. When they released that, the guys at ProBuilder made a demo of using ProBuilder in Editor VR. So fingers crossed that at some point in the future, maybe this year, we actually have a VR editor inside Unity where you can actually make level geometry with the controllers or you know, kind of a little bit more like what you can do in Unreal Engine. So yeah, you should go check it out. Joe, you, you get bonus points for being somebody who spent $100 on a tool and later it was made absolutely free and you're just happy for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I paid for a product when it was for sale. It's not for sale now. Mm-hmm. So I think it's pretty I, cool. Now, if only, I get uh, it. it. It's just not a common reaction these days. No, <laughs> so I didn't. you win bonus points for it. Oh, thank you. I did not go send an email asking for my money back or anything. <laughs> now, if only uh, the guys at Gaia need to watch out. Maybe they'll be gobbled up next. <laughs> but the uh, the ProBuilder thing makes sense to me. Um, I tried a couple other tools in Unity for making 3D models, and they some of them are pretty cool. But they none of them feel like Unity, where ProBuilder feels exactly like Unity. You're using the regular transform tools, and it just feels completely native, as if it had been part of Unity all along. So it really doesn't surprise me that Unity 
pick this one out of everything. So the other tool I wanted to mention, um, not, not as big a deal yet, but I think it has potential to be a huge advantage later on, is uh, Mozilla released a Unity plugin to turn a Unity scene or project into WebVR. Well, that's, but they named it Joe, right? <laughs> they might as well have. <laughs> Actually, I don't know the name of the tool right off the top of my head. But uh, I just saw this over the weekend and was pretty pumped about it. I, I made a little demo project with it last night, and it totally works. It's not full of features yet. Like, there, there's no actual, like, there's no features with it. It's just, here's the camera rig, and here's where you can attach your controllers and start building. So there's no like teleportation or interaction or anything like that built into it at this point. Um, so I'm kind of like fingers crossed with the Vive input people or any of the other abstraction tools like, hey, you should add support for this because it, it's actually pretty simple to start a project and add WebVR support. I haven't looked too closely at the output. So I, I made a project yesterday and exported it. It just exports it as a WebGL project and then you can upload that to any web server and uh, it uses WebVR to render. And it still does the fallback thing where if you don't have a, a VR headset attached to the browser, you can still just pan around the scene. It is officially supported on Firefox with Vive and Oculus and Microsoft Edge with the Windows Mixed Reality headsets. No official support for Android. Um, on mobile yet, even though they, they do support, they kind of half support WebVR. They said they were going to support it, but it's, it's not quite there yet. But it's pretty cool stuff. And uh, I haven't dived into the output to see if that's something I can actually modify from there or if you'd even want to. I'm guessing it's probably no. You just do all the work in your Unity project, export it, and just export a new copy every time you make an update. Um, so I'm not sure if it's like, I don't think it's writing good web VR code or A-frame code or anything like that, but I haven't checked on that. But yeah, it was just kind of nice to like, okay, now I, I, I'm starting to feel more and more like I picked the right tool. <laughs> like waffling back and forth between Unreal Engine and Unity. Now Pro Builder is getting worked in and I can make web VR stuff without having to <laughs> learn web VR along the way. And like, yeah, I think I'm in the right place. So. Very cool. Hey, uh, how's your new laptop going? Great. It's a, it's a beast. I'm not using it right now. I'm using the quiet MacBook pro, but, uh, that thing is awesome. Like I've spent most of my time on it and, uh, I don't know, the keyboard kind of suits me. It's kind of squishy and, you know, membrane cheapness, but it doesn't aggravate my wrists and arms as much as every other keyboard in the last five years. So that's a pro. And uh, it is certainly a loud machine. I get a lot of mean looks at the co-working space from like the, the sea of MacBook Airs gathered around the table, like making WordPress sites. And I'm over there with a VR headset, having fun, enjoying my work. 
<laughs> and your fans are spinning like your laptop's yeah. trying to take off from the table. I swear, yeah. sometimes I'm the only person in the building smiling. <laughs> Everybody else like trying to up, update a failed WordPress plugin. I'm like, nope, I'm having fun over here. But yeah, it's pretty good. I'm still using the MacBook for certain things. Um, and I'm just kind of going back and forth. I'm kicking up some more software projects. I've got another FileMaker project kicking off soon. And then I'm in the sales process for a much bigger one. So I'll be using, just kind of wearing two hats probably for the rest of the year. Because um, I got to pay the bills somehow. So. And right now, everything I'm doing in VR is very fun, but none of it's getting me paid yet. So. Might be a while. I'm trying to think of what else. So one little bit of news about the podcast. Um, not sure if announcing this here matters because if you're already listening to this, then you probably don't need to know this. But we have a YouTube channel now. If you prefer to listen to us on YouTube for some reason, rather than through a podcast player over an RSS feed, you can do that. Uh, I will post a link to our first episode in the show notes, and you can listen to it there. Over the next couple of weeks, I'll try to get the rest of the catalog uploaded. Um, so yeah, there's that. The only reason I did that is because I had to make a video today. So the other team I'm working with asked me to make a demo video that they can send out to some potential partners. And I have never made a video in my life other than like taking a video on my phone of something funny i've never actually like produced a video or anything like that like I, yes i've taken like screen recordings and sent them to customers like here's how you use this feature but i've never used adobe premiere or after effects or anything like that but i have the adobe account so i loaded up premiere and just kind of learned how to do that and i used a tool called obs studio to capture the video and audio inputs from the Vive. So I just played the project and spent about seven minutes in VR walking through the three different scenes and using the menu and just trying to not shake my head too much. And mm -hmm. I just uh, recorded the viewport of that and then loaded that into Premiere and learned how to cut that into pieces and add transitions between scenes and add like some black slides with some titles like here's you know welcome to the project here's the first demo scene and kind of go into there and then i added some music and figured out how to do audio transitions and <laughs> just kind of yeah it's cool stuff just just you know something little on a saturday yeah jeez joe um just something to play with that's, that's an entire career path all its own yes Should definitely want to go crazy yeah i have I haven't even, yeah, scratched the surface of it. I just did some really basic stuff. And uh, it, it came out okay. The Towards the end of it, there was some visual artifacts around one of the dark scenes when I think it started raining. And I don't think the video encoding liked that many objects. So I need to take a look at that and see if I need to reshoot that Ooh. when it's not raining. But uh, other than that, like, just 
putting our podcast on YouTube has been on the back of my list for a couple of months. And I'm like, oh, I'll learn how to do that someday. And I learned how to do it today when I was doing that other video. So I figured, well, I kind of know what to do now. So I will just drag a copy of the audio file in, drag a still image in, expand that across the length of the audio file, and export that as a video. Good enough. So I learned, it's kind of funny though, it's like, I learned how to take a 40 meg audio file and a three meg image and turn it into a 500 meg file. Voila, <laughs> how efficient. Success. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not gonna be archiving these as I go. It's easy enough to redo, I'll just <laughs> upload them and delete them. Well, speaking of preparing stuff for handing off to potential partners. Um, I did just, it wasn't yesterday, it was Friday, um, get my prototype copy of my board game into the hands of a publisher. Nice. Um, I mean, it's still, still very early days, and when you're talking about physically producing physical objects, having the design and everything done and ready to go is just the first sliver of the process. Yeah. Um, they've also got a couple of games ahead of it in their queue. So it's not it's not like in a couple of months you'll be able to just go out and buy a copy of my game. But as this process continues, I'll give you some updates. Awesome. So. It sounds, it sounds like a pretty insane industry. I listened to a, a game design podcast Um just listening to some old episodes from like 2012 and they had a guy that the podcast has one guy who does digital games and one guy who does board games and they had another guy who runs a board game company come on and just talk about the business aspect of running a board game company and it it's a lot of work and not a lot of money makes it to him like the entire process um i think he said like seven percent of the revenue of the sales actually make it to his company and out of that 7% is what he has to pay himself and his designers and everybody who worked on the game. So it's like, yeah, that's, that's rough. And I'm all of a sudden I'm not as mad about Apple taking 30% on the app store. (laughs) That just suddenly seems perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean the physical, like, it costs money to make every single copy mm-hmm. and and not insignificant quantity of money. I, I'm not planning on making hardly anything off of this. This was a labor of love. It was my first board game design. Um, I, I got kind of lucky and came up with something cool. Nice. So, um, yeah, I, I, I will consider it an absolute overwhelming success if I can walk into a board game store someday and pick up a copy of my game. That's all I really want from the entire experience. Wait, <laughs> we'll, we'll worry about more from round two, but... Would you like to commission a VR version? <laughs> um, Not today. But if it takes off like, uh, you know, my game is the new Munchkin... Mm-hmm. then yes, sure, we'll talk about it. So you need to design a VR board game where the pieces are 3D models, get the VR title launched, and then allow people to use 3D printers to make their own copy of the game. 
kind of go go at this from the other direction. Well, oddly enough, that's actually how I got into board game design was I started wanting to make video games a number of years ago, started looking at the tools and knew that I wanted to make an asynchronous multiplayer game like a lot of the board games that I really enjoyed playing with my friends. And as I started playing with it, it was so obnoxious trying to program like, okay, here is a card. Now here are the ways that cards can move and the places that cards can go versus not go. And here's the algorithm under which we're, go we're going to use to shuffle the cards. And just like, oh my gosh, just, okay, three by five cards, write a little number on each of them, go. Let's see if this is a fun game or not. <laughs> that was literally, that was how I got into physical board game design was because it was dramatically less complicated than video board game design. Um, so it was always with the intention that once I had a decent board game that I would make an electronic version of it. Mm -hmm. Like literally physical board game design was just supposed to be prototyping. So I, I don't know. Yeah, and now yeah, I'm apparently several, bad at planning all of this. Yeah, now so, several hundred board games later. <laughs> yeah, I don't think either of us are that great at planning our projects. I think that's self-evident from the uh, just listening to the first ten minutes of our first episode today when we talked about how we're going to be doing all of our Unreal Engine development on Max. <laughs> That has not worked out too well. Yeah, I, I'm i bad at predicting the future in general, me in particular. My personal favorite failing was playing with NCSA Mosaic version 1.0 in like 91, 92 and going, you know what? This is stupid. Nobody's ever going to use this web thing. <laughs> It's just, it's too much work. Why would anybody put this kind of effort into publishing information on the internet? Yeah. So, yeah, just the beginning of a long stream of being wrong about technology. I, I still don't think it's going to catch on. <laughs> well, that's our show for today. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm VRHermit underscore Dave. And I'm VRHermit underscore Joe. And if you could, like us or rate us in your podcast player of choice and tell your friends. Thanks for listening. Thanks.